0: I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. I love talking about habits, family rhythms, and routines because they are the building blocks of culture. Those things that you do over and over again, whether good or bad, healthy or toxic, create the environment of your home. This week's guest, Justin Whitmill Early, wrote a book called The Habits of the Household. He believes that our parenting habits will inevitably form us and our children. His new book helps parents take hold of these habits and use them to help their families become more like the lovers of God and neighbor we are called to be. Justin is a writer, speaker, lawyer, and the founder of The Common Rule, an online resource center for Christians seeking kingdom-formed habits that can sustain them in an age of chaos. His mission is to empower God's people to thrive through life-giving habits that give meaning to our days. Welcome, Justin. It is incredible to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Kimberly. So a question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your family known for?
1: Ooh, that's a hard one. I think that might be changing for us as we go, but right now, with my wife and I and our four boys who are between the ages of nine and three, I think we' probably be known for being a lot to handle. <laughs> <laughs> when we show up, it's um, you notice
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know we're fun, but we're loud. It's a, it's a, it's a lot to enjoy, but you know, we break stuff. We move around. There's a lot of wrestling. Not necessarily the family I expected to have, but it's the family we do have. And it is really fun. I I think probably in this stage, at least we're known for being a lot to handle. Hopefully someday we'll be known for having a lot to give.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when we come to your house, what can we expect? What, what do people, what can people count on when they come to your house?
1: You can count on a competition for who greets you at the door. Everything becomes a competition, (laughs) Um, a competition for who gets to open the door, who gets to greet you. Now I love that my boys run to greet our guests. You can expect to both be asked a lot of questions at dinner and to be interrupted a lot as we are learning in our family to actually let other people talk. You can expect to get a lot of food, enjoy a lot of food and a lot of drink and to all be in the same room doing something, which is maybe why the up and the downside of being a lot to handle. We 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 have a big solidarity impulse. We we do mm-hmm. this. It, it's hard to get everybody to go to their room and read, yeah. even though everybody really kind of needs more of that. Our our default is we're all in the same room. Yeah, probably in the same six by six you know square box in our kitchen, all bumping into each other, all talking. <laughs> so you can expect <laughs> to be in that sort of loving chaos of the household
2: Mm -hmm. oh I love that
1: yeah I actually write I tell readers in in my book habits of the household that I'm about to talk about all these habits of the household but you need to know that I I write from a messy house I write from a loud house a messy house a chaotic house and I'm qualified to write about the habits of the house precisely because we need them so much not because we're so good at them
0: yeah no that's good that's comforting to know (laughs) yeah yeah So tell us um, more about this, the habits of a household and how they became really important to you. Was it just because you needed to solve this chaos or was there another reason?
1: You know, that's a great transition because that's a pretty good answer. The first way I came to care about habits was because of my own personal chaos. I had about six years ago, a really serious anxiety crash, right? As I transitioned from being a missionary in China and went through law school and graduated around the top of my class and got my dream job at mergers and acquisitions at a top tier law firm, I started my practice of law and absolutely collapsed. And this is a really long, difficult, dark period that I write about in my first book, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. But what I found at the end of that time to compress a really detailed and long story is that I was being formed by my habits far more than my hopes. I I really did have the right beliefs and worldview. And I I was thinking very well. I just didn't realize I had assimilated to all the dangerous day-to-day, week-to-week habits of modern America, particularly in the top law schools and law law firms. So that was my first foray into the idea that habits form more than our schedules. They form our hearts too. Mm. Funny enough, it took me a couple years to realize that that didn't just apply to me and my personal habits. It, it applied to our house and our family, and that 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 was a big transition point for me, realizing that it wasn't just me. I, my habits weren't just forming me; they were forming my kids as well.
0: Yeah, I bet you we all can relate when you think that something you're just going to do it this time, and then you're just going to do it next week, and then one more week, and then you really eventually get back to the way you really want to do it. I mean, I think of right. So I think of flossing my teeth. How many times do I say I'm going to do this and I've never quite made it a habit. Right. And we, but we do that. We all laugh and chuckle because I think most of us um, want to be better
2: flossers, (laughs)
0: Right, right. but like we we do that with our family life too. Like we laugh at this, but there's things that we keep saying we want to do with our family. We want to create in our home. And then we just never create those habits.
1: Yes. And, And usually, unfortunately, I think God is merciful in this, but it's hard for us. Usually there's some crisis that mm-hmm. comes where you have had an, you just had enough of having enough. And for, for, for me personally, that was my anxiety crash where I realized I've got to do something different. And yeah. actually there was a similar evening in my home where, again, out of chaos comes this desire for order. There was a similar evening in my home where one night I put the boys to bed. And with my boys at those ages, they were in between six months Oh no the fourth wasn't even born so there was three of them and they were in between two and six or seven and bedtime is all like flying board books and bath water being spilled and fights over the toothbrushes and i just remember one night i I did what i normally did and that has turned into this sort of raging taskmaster of screaming and people need to be here right now or there's going to be major bodily harm if pjs aren't on right now just all these (laughs) threats And then I remember I was about to turn off the lights and I offered them each a short bedtime prayer. And in my head, I was like, Whoa, they probably have a wild dissonance between this man who was just, you know, raging at them to, you know, not have any more drinks of water. And now this man who is trying to pray for them. And I realized Mm -hmm. that, you know, my default actions through most of the evening were really different than my once in a while moment actions of, Hey, let me say a bedtime prayer for you. And it wow. was in that dissonance that I realized I, I bet these rhythms are teaching them as much about who God is, who a loving parent is, what love means as much as that one high point moment where I try to pray for them. And that's when I thought, Oh my gosh, I need to apply all this stuff I wrote about in my first book of like the ha- of the ongoing habits in our life and how they form us to my boys. And so mm-hmm. a- again, it was sort of a low point moment where I realized I need some habits to guide me and my family into the day-to-day rhythms in a more loving way. Because Mm -hmm. without those, I'm I'm fairly impatient. I'm fairly angry. We're we're pretty chaotic and a mess.
0: Yeah. So I know some of us, we might hear habits and we might think, oh, it feels too structured. It feels too forced. But tell us the difference between a habit and a rule and and where there's grace and where there's rhythm and and break that down for us.
2: There's so this
1: is all based on grace. That's why I'm so glad you, you asked that because a rule to me is something at least we associate in our minds with you get in trouble for breaking,
2: mm-hmm. like you've
1: transgressed the law. First of all, that's okay because there's grace for that too, right? But a habit is quite different. A habit is something you usually do. Sometimes you don't, but you usually do, right? Like you have a habit of going this way to work, but just because you don't go that way one day doesn't mean you've messed anything up. It just habits draw you back to a norm and that's their power. They feel normal. So you don't notice them. And Mm -hmm. this is what I think is so phenomenally spiritually important about habits, both in our life and in our homes. It's examining our ordinary and asking, are these the kind of habits that are leading us closer towards God and His love? Or are these the kind of habits that are reinstilling the default patterns of busyness or vanity or consumerism or distraction? And because often when I talk about habits, people imagine that they have a blank slate and that I'm talking about sort of adding some things onto them and they feel like heavy, burdensome rules. But I, I really try to encourage people to to say, right now, you have a pattern of habits that is guiding your household. They function like a rut in a road. Mm -hmm. Um, It is really easy to stay in the rut. Mm -hmm. And once you're in it, you don't notice it. But it's really hard to get out of the rut. That takes energies. And the point is that ruts go somewhere. Habits go somewhere. And so a a lot of what I want to help parents see is that we have ruts in our parenting. And we will inevitably have ruts. You know, our habits will dig a rut somewhere. But the question is, if we look up, are they going where we, where we want mm. to go? And so ha- habits lead us somewhere. We all have them. The question is not do we have them. The question is which ones and where are they taking us? Mm. Um, and okay. I, I just want to end with this idea that well, I often remind people, our habits don't change God's love for us, period. But God's love for us can and should change our habits. We should really think in, in light of all that he's done for us. How would we set up our household in light of grace? Not how can we set up our household because that'll guarantee our success and our, our, our best life for our ch- children. Now, not no, it's just we're going to be in some rut. Why not try to dig the rut that keeps you know, pushing us down the hill towards God's love so that we're so, continually falling into the arms of his love and grace? That's, that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, I often say, all of us have a family culture. It's just a matter of whether or not yes. you design it or you intentionally create it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So I that's often a think of good example.
1: It's, the question is not do we have habits. The question is are we picking them on purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, give us an example of some great household habits.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, continuing on my what I started with. One of the first things that occurred to me in, in my journey was after this um, explosion at bedtime, I was talking to one of my pastors about this, and he recommended that I try a bedtime liturgy because he did one with his voice. And I said, you know, what is that? And he went through it and I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. I'm going to try this. So out of the blue, it's probably about three or four years ago, I write a bedtime liturgy for my sons, which sounds more complicated than it is. It's just a prayer we're going to say back and forth um, to each other. And, and it goes like this. I asked them and I said it last night with my boys. I asked them, can you see my eyes? And they say yes. And then I say, can you see that I see your eyes? And they say yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you? And They say yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? And they say yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? And they say yes. And then I just say, Who else loves you like that? And they know the answer is is God. And that's that's the end of our prayer. Now, first night I did this, (laughs) it was not any sort of success. You know, they (laughs) thought it was really uh, interesting that I was talking about eyes and seeing each other's eyes, and they took it as an invitation to poke my eyes, and you know, (laughs) and they didn't know the answers (laughs) to these questions, and I forgot what I was gonna say, but that, that doesn't matter. What what matters is that a week or two down the road. Because that's what always happens when you try to start a new habit. Oh, yeah. You know, nothing is normal until it is, Mm -mm, right? mm -hmm. So you got to practice. This stuff, this is about the life of practice, right? But a a week or two down the road, I remember one of my boys laying in bed and it was otherwise a night, just like I described, fairly chaotic, bathwater on the floor, et cetera. But he looks at me and he says, Can we have our bedtime blessing now? And I went through this little liturgy. And that little bright spot, Of sort of proclaiming the unconditional love of God back and forth to each other became almost a a center of gravity for the evening. What I noticed was that the circumstances were mostly otherwise the same. But because my my rhythm was now sort of moving towards this routine, it started to bring everything else in its orbit. You know, it's hard, Mm -hmm. it's harder to yell at your kids when you know you're about to exchange these meaningful words. Mm -hmm. You sort of it starts to just change, and that's what good habits do. Good habits, and you do have to practice them. They never accidentally, or rarely, accidentally happen. Good habits, like a bedtime prayer, and then they could be so many things. But like a bedtime prayer, they change our patterns before and after. They start to become little centers of gravity. Oh wow! And so, as I go through the book, for example, bedtime prayers are one example. I give a lot of examples of little bedtime prayers you could use with older kids and younger kids. But then I just go through the day. The chapters are things like meal times, screen times, family devotions, conversation times, playtime, work time, bedtime, waking mm-hmm. all, all the things that everybody is experiencing through their days or weeks, and ask, "How can we find little keystone habits like that that change the way we act around each other, that change the way we inter- relate to each other?" And essentially, that, that before we really even speak a word, start to change the way that we feel and experience the love between mm-hmm. us and between us. Cause after all the, the goal of the house is just like the goal of life to love God and neighbor, love our family members and yeah. to love him together.
0: Yeah. So do all habits work for every family or can, or how do we figure out which ones are right for us? Like, do we need to have a liturgy every night or?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be really <laughs>
0: strange.
1: You know, if everybody said the same bedtime prayer that I was saying for my boy's what I hope people, I, well, actually, that would be really wonderful because I yeah. hope it would matter to them as much as it matters to me. But one thing I try say over and over in the book, and it's worth repeating, what my, my greatest hope is that people sort of pick up on the idea that they can choose their habits on purpose and that that will lead their family into the love of God and neighbor together. So, every, you know, families are, a family of four girls is going to look different than my family of four boys. Mm-hmm. Of, A family with a single parent is going to look different than my family. A family with a disabled child is going to look, there's so many reasons we might look different, but Mm -hmm. everyone has habits and everyone needs to pick them on purpose. So what I try to do and what I would commend people to is there are certain things that are so similar for everybody to eat with our family is more than food. It's about relationship. That's not going to change your family dinner might look a lot different than mine, but family mm-hmm. meals should be some sort of rhythm. Or likewise, you know, family devotions with two um, teenagers is going to look different than family devotions with a five year old and a seven year old. Mm-hmm. But the idea that we should be discussing scripture together and praying with and for each other is, you know, doesn't change. The, the, there are certain Time-tested habits that we traditionally call the spiritual disciplines. There are things like prayer, eating, you know, communing, reading the word, being quiet. There, there, there are things like this, and, and a lot of my book can actually be reframed in saying, "How do we bring the spiritual disciplines into the rhythms of the household in ways that are appropriate for little children and for teenagers?" And so everybody needs to iterate and try and figure out what works for their family. But my whole goal. Of, in this is to get people to parent on purpose, just to realize that there are things that they can choose to do and that it's not burdensome. Mm -hmm. It is. What is burdensome is to do nothing. What's Mm -hmm. burdensome is to stay in that rut of the regular American life where you are overwhelmed. You're anxious. You're busy. You're snapping at each other all the time. Like this is the norm. This is what we do. And this is like Lauren and I, and our four boys, this is what we will do. If we do nothing else, what's burdensome is to do nothing. What is incredibly yeah. light is to take on the yoke of Jesus and say, how can I fashion the habits of the household in his image? Because mm-hmm. his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this mm-hmm. in picking your habits on purpose is really good news.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know if you found this, but when we create really good habits as a family, it carries us through those times of uncertainty or chaos, or when things mm-hmm. don't go the way we planned, it, it it allows us to sort of go on autopilot. You know, because we have these rhythms established and we have those patterns that are created that even when, you know, we go through loss or we go through a shutdown or we go through, you know, something that's unexpected, we have those habits that really sustain us through it.
1: Yes. That I am so glad you said that because one of the most important things for me right now are these habits, particularly around moments of crisis in the house, which for us in our phase are are moments of discipline or misbehavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of my small habits that I talk about in the book, and really I cling to, honestly, I cling to it is when I am on the way to discipline one of my children. And this could be because the littlest, you know, has just disobeyed and thrown something across the room or because I hear the older two fighting upstairs. I tend to approach those situations with just a lot of explosive anger. I don't know that this is unusual for anybody, especially not unusual for a father like me, but what happens is that I just come in looking to control and, and and use my presence, my strength, my tone to just control and manage behavior. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized is that is that can be effective, but it's not discipleship at all. It's not helping them learn. Um, Mm. It's certainly not helping our relationship. It's just, Me sort of saying you're under my rule and this can't happen. And what it really happened to the the habit I try to practice now is praying on the way to that moment of Mm discipline and specifically reminding myself that I too am a person who doesn't like to share my things, my wealth, my time, or I too am a person who doesn't like authority. I like to do my own thing. Or I too am a person who gets sad when I'm ignored or sad when I'm Mm -hmm. left out. I too have a lot of pride. And so, as I do that, and this is just a little pattern, little habit that I try to do every time I approach a discipline situation, try to say a short prayer Lord, I too am like this, fill in the blank. Help me to parent them with the grace that you parent me with. And, and then come into that situation with all the firmness and gentleness that I would want from Jesus. Like, I do want Jesus to call me out. I do want him to say, You can't act like this. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting others. But I also want him to say it in the tone, of the loving Holy spirit that does, that doesn't shame, but that calls forward into something new. And so that's just one example of it. it, Habits carry you through really stressful moments because autopilot is actually a good thing when it's a healthy autopilot, right? It's really helpful to be able to fall back on those gentle patterns when you would otherwise Mm -hmm. be blowing your top or Mm -hmm. fall back on those loving words when you otherwise don't have any words. So I think, I think that's one of the most beautiful functions of habit is that they really can, if you build them right, they can carry you through really difficult storms. Mm -hmm. You know, they become like good, a good foundation that, that yes, the winds will blow, but, but you're going to stand because you really worked on building those patterns
0: yeah i I like what you just what you said that you've been implementing I recently started so usually I get my kids off to school they have a carpool I kiss them goodbye when they you know when I track them down and hunt them down that is a habit that I do I yeah, do not yeah. let them leave without saying goodbye because they're teenagers oh, and they might that. just slip out I
2: love that.
0: um but I'll kind of do like a real quick sweep around the house before I start my work and one of the things I've been doing lately is if I come upstairs and I see that they indeed did not make their bed which they're they're pretty decent at. Where there's stuff on the floor, I go into their room and I take that as an opportunity to pray for them specifically, as I'm just, you know, picking up that water bottle that fell under the bed or that tissue that's still on the nightstand or fix the bed, you know, cause I do, I want my kids to learn good habits, good discipline, good roommate skills, but like, I'm okay with making their bed every once in a while, but I pray as I do it. So it lets me release you know, the anger or the frustration I might have that their room wasn't clean that day and just use it as an opportunity to go in there and kind of like pray over their bedroom, pray over them, go into That's their it's just like it's a touch point. And it definitely has changed me and how I approach, you know, them later in the day or how I approach my work, because yes. I feel like it just, it gives me the opportunity to, I don't know, just, yeah, I don't really know what the word
2: well, for prayer is.
1: I mean, yeah, and- I love that. So, so and that's making me realize a lot of the habits that I talk about are different ways to approach prayer with and for the family through the day. Mm-hmm. And I used to be resistant to the idea of rote rhythmic prayers. Cause I mm-hmm. thought, Oh, you're not really feeling it or you're not really meaning it. And now I think because I had bought into the American nonsense of, you know, follow your heart, like your heart needs to be you you need to be following where your emotions lead. And and now I realize like that's ridiculous. Proverbs tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else. I mean, I I think about my heart now as like wild. I mean, it's like a wild horse and it needs a bridle. And often Mm -hmm. that bridle is is prayer. And I find exactly the kind of moments you're talking about, which I'm going to start doing, by the way, because otherwise I'm saying a different kind of prayer in those moments. And it's sort of this like... (laughs) wild lament to myself of like, Oh, all that I have to do to pick up after my boys. Yeah. And, so, like, and that's what I think is so important to realize, you know, you have habits, your brain is doing something during those moments. So I love that you've picked one that guides you yeah. towards a compassion and prayer and patience for your kids.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's just so powerful. I think that that guides our hearts to good places um, mm-hmm. because prayer works.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Prayer,
1: prayer, something's happening when you pray.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. All right. I feel like we're I'm onto something. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm going to tell my wife about this one tonight.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and she's going to be like, oh, that's great. So why don't you go clean up all their rooms now and pray for them? <laughs> I
0: even do it for my husband too. <laughs> like if I'm making yeah, right, the bed, right. I'm like, all right, Lord.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I, this is a vulnerable point because I, there are times and I sure my wife does this too, where I'm scrubbing a pan and I'm like, why didn't, Someone else cleaned this up. And, you know, I'll, and, and I'll find myself, oh, I need to pray for my wife too, because mm-hmm. the reason she didn't clean this up is because she had so much other stuff to do right now and she's still yeah. going to do it. And like, and I think those patterns of prayer save us from a lot of needless mm-hmm. bitterness and self, you know, that inner self anger that can mm-hmm. so easily crop up in the household yeah. because the household is the place where we learn to love because it's hard to be yeah. patient. You know, like it's hard to share. It's hard to share your space. It's hard to share the work. And that's the point. That's why the household has so much to teach us about how to love other people, our spouses and kids included. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So besides sort of getting out of that rut that we didn't choose, creating, how does creating rituals help an overwhelmed parent or family?
1: Yeah. All right. I'm thinking especially about little kids here. Um, At some point, I realized, oh my gosh, kids love doing the same thing over and over. They love it. You know, we might be like, you know, I don't want to go to that restaurant. Like we just went there last week. Kids are like, hey, we went to this park yesterday. I want to go to this park again for the rest of my life. Or, hey, I watched Mm -hmm. this movie yesterday.
0: Oh my God, the movies. (laughs) I
1: want to watch that again. I want to... And that's not bad. And I'm realizing this in education too, right? Rhythmic teaching, memorization, kids are ripe for this because that's the stage their their brain is Mm -hmm, in. mm -hmm. And so one of the things I've realized is that we do them a real favor by offering them predictable rhythm in in the home. Mm -hmm. So when I say, you know, give that toy back to your brother right now, or you'll, you know, never play a video game again, or you'll never, and then I don't follow through and I, or if I say, I'm going to count to three and then you're going to go to timeout and I don't, what I'm doing is introducing unreliability into, uh, he doesn't mm-hmm. really mean what he says. Yeah. Consequences don't really exist. La- last night, you know, we got ice cream for this tonight. There's nothing. They, they get confused because they, yeah. they don't know what to expect from you. And I think a lot of what we think about in the Lord's faithfulness is that he is, he is the same to us. You know, he, he, he is constant. And I think one great way to reflect that and do a favor for your children and help train them is to build predictable rhythms because this will settle a toddler's heart. This, will, you know, when they know this is how we go to, you know, preschool, this is how we do drop-off. We've just seen this in my family over the, the past month as we've gotten back into school. It's so hard the first week. Mm-hmm. By the fourth, they didn't know what to do. They know where their backpack is. They know where their water bottle is because they're kids and they do habits. So I, yeah. think, it's, I think it's really an antidote to the chaos of modern life to live a life of habit. Um, Mm. It doesn't have to be rigid. I think it's very freeing because then the mental load sinks in and you don't have to think about all this stuff anymore. Now you can actually enjoy those moments in between. Mm. And this is a real practical answer, right? I I think on the one side, habits are liturgies and they lead us into patterns of worship and we need to pay attention to them. On the other side, habits are very practical. They, Mm -hmm. they just plainly make life easier when we pick them on purpose. And I think Mm -hmm.
2: that's
1: actually really important for a culture that is chronically, you know, overstressed and, and fried.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. You know, I think of my kids and they're older now and they need a safe place where things are predictable because when they go to school yes. and they're dealing with middle school and high school friendships, it is so unpredictable. <laughs> I mean, I've seen my, th- my, my kids go through the ringer. I've seen them be mm-hmm. disappointed by people that they felt thought were going to be there for them for situations that they thought that they were, could count on. I think of the, the last year, you know, as high schoolers having that like senior year not be what you thought it was, or that junior year, like having to go through levels of disappointment, the home was a place where there was something they could count on. They knew what to expect. They knew this is the way we do things. We didn't decide every day was going to be a different day based on how we were feeling. We just had things Mm -hmm. that we, that were habits. And I think that that provided a really safe and secure place for them. And I think Yes, it's important as toddlers, and I think it's important in every stage, but as my kids get older and I see just the, 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 them step into the real world and making adult decisions, even my, my mm-hmm. oldest, there's a comfort in coming back home to, to the, those habits, for sure.
1: Yes, I, I love that. I think about your, the habit that you mentioned of you say goodbye to them, you mm-hmm. know, or you, you come to kiss them before they leave. You know, I think at best, these, the idea of these habits is that we create these rhythms of love that that sink down into their implicit memory. And I picked, I, I use that word on purpose um, because psychologists, especially child psychologists, talk about this thing called implicit memory, which is what our brain is remembering when we can't really name what we're remembering. Mm. So to remember, you know, like my bedroom was blue when I was young. It wasn't, but as an example. Uh, That's different. That's explicit memory. But to feel fear when you go back to your childhood street, or to feel this overwhelming sense of nostalgia and longing when you go back to your old front door, that's implicit memory. And and I think it is such an inheritance
2: Mm.
1: for children to have an implicit memory of, of safety, of predictability, of love, of presence, because the world is not predictable.
2: Mm-hmm. The world
1: is not necessarily loving. The world is distracted. The world is mean. The world is broken. There are all these things that they are going to face that, you know, you and I face. And they're, they're, we, we, everybody listening to this has faced incredible pain, trauma. fear. We know that life is hard. But to give your children that implicit memory of love exists, it's possible. And you have a firm foundation in your family because we have a firm foundation in Christ. Mm-hmm. Is immeasurable strength that we then send our kids out with that day they turn eighteen and leave the house or or whatever age it is. That is just it gives me it just gives me shivers thinking about it because the stakes are high and this I don't mean yeah. this would be overwhelming but this it's it's important like how the way we give that our children that implicit memory of love or something else is one of the most if not the most important thing they will carry. Into the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and that is such an opportunity. Again, not a burden. What an opportunity to give them that foundation.
0: Yeah, I have a like a family culture worksheet that people download from my website. And one of the things that I ask them when they just start to determine their family culture is, what are the sights, sounds, and things that make you feel like right. home? Mm-hmm. Right. And so going back to those memories that question. we had was yeah. Right? going back to the memories we've had, what makes you feel like home? And then how can you duplicate that? And how can you do that for your family? Because those yes. feelings are real. And if we examine the feelings that we have experienced, we can then have a goal or a vision for what we want to give our kids.
1: Yes, that's good. And, you know, what, this makes me want to tie two things together and, and just to emphasize that make sure everybody's experiencing grace here you yeah. asked me at the beginning, you know, what's our family known for? And I'm like, you know, we're a lot to handle. Right. Um, <laughs> and then I go on to t- talk about all these ordering habits of, mm-hmm. you know, purpose and prayer and love. And I, I do, I want everybody to know that those really do intertwine almost mm-hmm. like a DNA helix at our house. Like uh, we are loud. We get in fights, you know, we, we yell at each other and then we have to apologize. And then we have to repair and then we have to get in our, we have, you know, liturgies of how we say sorry. And, and Like we are not, we are so far from anything that could be called perfect. But the reason that we do these things is because we need these liturgies and habits of repentance and love to to make sure that those moments come back to the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things I've learned recently in parenting is that it is a given that you will sin against each other. It's a given that you will hurt your children. It's a given that you will scar each other. It is a given that you will mess up. Mm -hmm. It's a given that we hurt the people we love the most. But there is grace and repentance and repair. What is not a given is do we repair those things? But that's what's offered to us in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can actually say sorry. We can actually change. We can actually repent and ask for forgiveness and forgive and become, and that is immeasurably more Mm -hmm. important than, well, did we mess up? Of course, we're going to mess up over and over and over and over. But the good news of the gospel Mm -hmm. is that Jesus loves us anyway, and empowers us to love the people closest to us, who we hurt the most anyway. And that's the beauty of these gospel habits in the household. Not that we create anything like perfection, but that we learn how to forgive and love in all of our mess. Yeah. And that's where love can come from a messy household.
0: Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> you mentioned screen time and screens a little yes. bit in the beginning. So let's circle back to that because I feel like that is a pain point no matter how that's old your child one. is, no matter yeah. where your family is. <laughs> so what are some of the habits that you created that, that that have helped you in this area?
1: That's a big one right there. Okay, so we, our paradigm. For screen time mm-hmm. is curation, which is again it's maybe good. an overcomplicated word, but curation. And here's the idea: if you're familiar, if you're familiar with an art exhibit, you, the idea you have one wall mm-hmm. in an art gallery, you have a limited space, and you got to pick the best things to go on that wall. The two parts of curation are limit and choosing. So our first thing that we think about for screen time is that we do need some sort of meaningful limits. This is Lauren and I, as parents and our kids, this is everyone right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you don't have limits around screens, you're probably being discipled by them and not Jesus bluntly put. I mean, we are Mm -hmm. all swimming in in screens right now. So they are going to control us if we don't control them. So and then we think about limits, not so much as like rules, no, 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 too much time. We just, we think about, more, about them more in rhythms. So limits in our family looks like we do a family movie on Friday nights, but not on other nights. So it just, it's a natural, you know, can we watch a movie tonight? The answer to that question is often the question, is it Friday?
2: Yeah, you it's know? good. Yeah.
1: So we, we get in predictable and then they have their own, they're allowed to watch their shows on Tuesday afternoon after school. It's just the random afternoon we pick. On Sunday, they'll watch a movie with their cousins at our extended family lunch that we do together every Sabbath. So there, there are these places in the week where they know they'll be engaging with screens.
2: Mm. But
1: that's really different than honestly putting the burden on them of their wondering any, any moment might be screen time. It's a miserable oh, way to live. Yeah. Saying. Yeah. So it's, it's different than saying you may not ever watch screens except for X and X it's more saying these are the times where our family engages in different ways with mm-hmm. yourself, the family mm-hmm. and cousins. And, and there's all times I could go more into examples. And I go into a lot of examples in the book and how to create li- limits through rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lauren and I do this too. You know, we have an hour with our phone off in the evening. We have times where we're away from our phone. We need this as much as our kids. And then the second part is choosing carefully. So within those limits, picking great content. And honestly, I would much rather talk about this with most parents than limits. I mean, it's really important to get your limits down, but I think the conversation around screens and media is actually much more about what is the most beautiful and what are the most compelling and brave and amazing stories that we can watch together and sink into because stories form who we are.
2: Like Mm -hmm. our idea
1: of who who are, what is a hero? What's a good Mm -hmm. plot line? What is redemption? Mm -hmm. What's forgiveness? All all these Mm -hmm. stories form us more than any Sunday school class, almost 99 times out of a hundred, a story is going to form us more. And so they're really important. And so I I work a lot with Lauren and she's really the master of this in our house. She picks really good books for them to read. Mm -hmm. She picks really good shows for them to watch. She picks really good movies for us all to watch. And so it's a lot more of watching good stuff on purpose. And that's the idea of curation. We have our limits and then we pick beautiful things to fill in those limits. Mm -hmm. and and I think that's and I'll wrap it up here that that's the way to move from fear to hope in screen time there's a lot of wonderful things that can happen in screens if we use them carefully Mm -hmm. and so we shouldn't be afraid of really how much is too much that shouldn't be our primary question our primary question is what good true and beautiful things are we running to in the times that we do engage with screens
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's really good that's definitely that's a fantastic shift Yeah. I mean, like I don't have TV on during the day and my kids know that in the evening, the TV doesn't go on until after we have cleaned up after dinner, after everything's settled. Like there, there is a rhythm. It's almost like, even when I'm not even, I don't even want to watch TV. There's a tendency to want to turn the TV on because that's the time where we do it. So for me to, you know, be very much aware that that rhythm is a good thing because it gets everything done before the TV goes on. Like, I'm talking like, so with older kids, we like we have shows and we watch them together yes. and we get yes. hooked in together and we love the characters and we talk about the characters. And then when we're in between shows, there's a tendency to just continue that rhythm and sit in front of the TV and t- right. instead of being intentional about what it is that we're going to watch next. Mm-hmm. And so there is that rhythm. And As much as we need to create it, I need to be also mindful of it so that I can, like you said, control it and be intentional about how I use it. And maybe we're not gonna turn on the TV for a week because we don't really have a show to watch. So we're not gonna watch nothing for the sake of, you know, anything for the sake of watching TV. Right.
1: And I think nudges are really important there. The nudge is the concept of what's the easiest thing to do because of how you've designed your house or set up Mm -hmm. your house. And so one of the things that we think about low-hanging fruit, right? Phones aren't at our dinner table. We, Lauren and I turn our phones off and we put them either upstairs in the drawer or in a basket. They're not, they're not even in our pockets. Yeah. And that's sort of, I probably recommend that for everybody. It just mm-hmm. makes it because then the nudge is that you don't check your texts at the table. But another nudge is you, maybe you have the TV in one room in your house and, but not every room. So th- there's a feel like, Oh, when yes. we're in this room, we're playing board games or when we're in this room, we're reading. Yes. Or, or when we're in this room, we're watching awesome shows together, which by the way, how great is that for family culture? A lot of the things I love about my family and why mm-hmm. we're so funny and why our family is actually friends and not just family, is that we have all this movie canon, these jokes that we tell and these recurring scenes yeah. that we enact, and and that's so good. I mean, we should be engaging really good shows, and, and you know the tough stuff that you watch and you're like, oops, shouldn't have watched that, or oh my gosh, this is really grating. Well, that's a lot of where your ethics are formed. That you're like, Lauren and I were just watching a show last night, and and I and I said this is awful. What they're doing here is awful. Right. And, and we sort of had to ask ourselves, is this relationship right? Is this proper? What a good thing to be talking about with your children, yeah. especially yeah. as they get older, mm-hmm. you know, do you think that was brave? Or mm-hmm. do you think he or she should have followed his heart? Cause it seems like their heart is kind of twisted, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, or that's not really honey. <laughs> right. It's, it's just such a
1: fertile ground for parenting. So it, yeah. again, it's don't run from screens, run, run to them in their proper place and then
0: put mm. them away. Yes. I like that. Okay, so one last question. You say that we become our habits and our kids become us. So can you pack unpack that idea a little bit of Mm -hmm. habits and formation in our family?
1: Yes, I think the best way to think about habits for a Christian is to think about them as liturgies. And I've Mm -hmm. mentioned this, but I just want to drill down on it. Liturgies and habits are so similar. We do them over and over. They're things that we do kind of unconsciously and they form us. But the important thing about a liturgy is that it owns up to being a pattern of worship habits, habits often obscure what we worship, but that doesn't mean we're not worshiping something and we become what we worship as, as the Psalmist says, those who make and trust in idols become like them. So at the end of the day, I just, I want Christians to see that their normal quote unquote mundane daily and weekly patterns are actually incredibly powerful rhythms of worship to something. And they are forming who we are. Yeah. And we should care about that. We should care about that. It's that uniting of education and formation that that Mm -hmm. life is not just about what we learn and think and say, but it's also about what we practice and do and repeat. Those are the things that intertwine to make us who we are. So we become our habits. And then anybody, you know, who looks at the household knows that, It's not that your kids become mirror images of you. It's that they become who they are in light of you. That Mm -hmm. they live their life for better or for worse in the shadow and the wake of who you have become. And we do such a wonderful thing when we do things like set up an implicit memory of love in the household for them or or set up routines that say, you know what? My idea of what a Christian is, is someone who prays, is someone who I saw my dad reading his Bible. That was a normal thing. And maybe I wondered for years from that, Mm
2: -hmm. but when the
1: Holy Spirit finally came back and prompted me to say, don't you want to walk this way? They think back and they think, I I saw somebody do that one time. I kind of know where to start. So our kids, we become our habits and our kids become who they are in light of us. And if that's true, then one of our primary concerns should be, what are the habits of the household? Because we are teaching our kids so many things before we ever open our mouth. And that's, I think the power of paying attention to the habits of the household
0: mm-hmm. oh, that's fantastic that's that's incredible. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to really I mean examine i mean i'm every, I'm very mindful of certain things, but I know that I have blind spots and mm-hmm. so like and for us, I think it's important as families when you go through seasons of transition to relook at your habits. One of the the places that I find myself right now is that my oldest went to college and the dynamic at the house has really changed without her. And so Mm -hmm. I've found that we kind of were bumping around a little bit. Like what, we got to go back to our core habits. Like what are the things that we do? Like family dinners changed just with the absence of Mm -hmm. one person, but I have Mm -hmm. to reel us back in and go, hey, this is still important. You know, like little things that I didn't expect. And so I'm definitely ripe for taking a look at our habits and reexamining them and saying, are these still the habits that we want to create? Are these still the habits that are intentional? And let's get back to the ones that were really fruitful for us.
1: That's yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that. All right, I'm I'm going to take away a lot of the things that you said now. Oh my gosh. Okay. I got (laughs) to insert some pages into my book.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much.
0: Wow, that was a great conversation. I definitely took away some strategies that I will be applying to our family life. You can follow Justin at com. I'll link to that and where you can find his book in the show notes. For those of you that are looking to take some of the things that we talk about on this podcast to the next level, I can help. For example, if you want to create family habits that line up with your family values and will set you up for success in the new year, then working together might be right for you. I'd love to jump on a call to chat more about it. Just head over to buildyourbestfamily.com to schedule a call. If you'd like to connect beyond the podcast, you can find me over on Instagram. It's my favorite place to hang out and share the ups and downs of everyday life, what we get right and what we get wrong, too. You can find me at at Kimberly Amici, and you can find the podcast at at Build Your Best Family. Remember, family culture is not about perfect. It's about purpose.